Take your Bible and turn to the book of Proverbs. We're beginning a brand new series this week, uh, a summer series that'll last through the month of June and July, nine weeks total, through the book of Proverbs. And, And the goal of this series is just what I've entitled this series, that we would all wise up. Wise up. That we'd grow, that we'd pursue, that we'd gain, that we'd expand in our wisdom. And this is exactly the purpose of the book of Proverbs, and this is the purpose of this sermon series through selected passages in the book of Proverbs. In fact, we could succinctly summarize this series from one proverb from the 31 chapters of Proverbs. Look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. This is really the goal of our study together. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. (laughs) And whatever you get, get insight. This is what we're after. We're after growing in wisdom, pursuing wisdom, gaining wisdom. If we are going to increase in wisdom, the first decision we must make is that, yes, we need to grow in it. The first decision we must make is, yes, we will pursue it. Why do we need wisdom? Because every day we are faced with decisions, hundreds of decisions, likely. Some are minuscule, some are small, some are minor in consequence, others are big and consequential and major in consequence. You may have to make a decision when we close today, where am I going to eat lunch? That's a decision you're going to have to make. And if you have a sensitive stomach, you need to use wisdom in that decision. Some of you are in the, in the throes of making decisions about your career, career move, company moves, business moves. Some of you are make, in the middle of making decisions about marriage. Who will I marry? About children, how you will parent your children, what your parenting style is gonna look like. Some of you are in the middle of making decisions about a particular situation, about the right use of money, about the right friends to hang out with, about the right school to attend. We are in the middle of decisions every single day. And so we need wisdom. We need God's wisdom to navigate those decisions. How do we get it? How do we get this wisdom that we all need? Well, the book of Proverbs is God's gift to us as his children to provide the much-needed wisdom we all need. Now, if you look in your bulletin, uh, hopefully you got one when you came in, you'll see a sermon card that looks something like this. This is what we're going to be doing, Lord willing, over the next nine weeks. You can see the sermons that we will be covering over the next nine weeks. Uh, I say we because I'm only going to be preaching six of the nine sermons. Uh, Wade's going to preach a couple, and Nick Burroughs is actually going to preach one of the sermons. I'll let you guess which one of our elders focusing on workplace is what sermon he's going to preach in that series. Now, as we look at this, what you'll notice is that seven of the nine messages are from specific sections or whole pericopes, if you will. That's us preaching uh, discourses from the book of Proverbs. And a couple of them uh, I've noted there are from selected Proverbs. The reality is, even when we preach a sermon like the sermon today, from a discourse, a, a longer section from a chapter, we will utilize supporting Proverbs throughout the whole book to undergird and to give support for the focus of that message. I've already done it today by looking at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. 
But we're beginning our study, as you see today, where you would expect us to begin a study in the book of the Bible at the first chapter and the first verse of that chapter. So our focal text in the message I've entitled, The Beginning of Wisdom, is Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. Look in your Bible or on your Bible study outline as I read our text for today. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the introduction for the book of Proverbs, and this is the intro for our series in the book of Proverbs. It's all about getting wisdom, gaining wisdom, pursuing wisdom. I've got three points on my outline, three points in my message, main points, from this text, and so let's get right into it. Number one, I want us to consider wisdom delivered to us. We have wisdom that has been delivered to us, namely in this veritable treasure trove of wisdom called the book of Proverbs. Now, who is the author? Well, the author's named in the first verse of the first chapter. Like a lot of other books in our Bible, the author is named right up front. Again, verse one, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. That's a very specific description of the author slash compiler. He didn't write all of them, but he compiled the majority of them. Now, some of the chapters, and we'll see in a moment, were actually not written by Solomon, but again, as a continual seeker of wisdom, one who pursued wisdom, he compiled these things together, but he did personally write the bulk of them. Now, where did this wisdom come from? Where did the wisdom that Solomon is putting together for us, where did it come from? Well, uh, again, Two of the books in our Bible are considered wisdom literature, the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes, and Solomon is credited with writing both of those books. How did Solomon get so wise? Where did his wisdom come from? Well, again, as I mentioned a moment ago, he was always pursuing wisdom, but his wisdom was even beyond just a personal pursuit of it. He was supernaturally endowed by God with wisdom, with wisdom. Most of you are probably aware of the account. When Solomon became king after his father David had died, God told Solomon to ask for whatever he wanted. And whatever he asked for, God told him, I'll give it to you. Now, let me pause right here. If God said that to you, what would you ask for? What would you say? We're familiar in our culture with fictional stories about people discovering genies in a bottle, right? Bum, 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 ba-da, bum, bum, right? We're, we're familiar with those kind of stories. What do they normally ask for when they discover the genie in the bottle and they get three wishes, you get three wishes or you get one wish, what do they ask for? Money, <laughs> I'll take a lot of money. Women, power, influence, give me the girl, Give me the wealth, a long life. But here's the deal. In the true story of Solomon, it's not fiction. What did Solomon ask for? 
Solomon asked for wisdom. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Kings verse, chapter 3, verse 9. So, this is Solomon's answer to the Lord's uh, promise. 1 Kings 3, 9. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? And God gave Solomon exactly what he asked for. Look at these next two passages from 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 11 through 13. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. So that's the promise of the gift. Then in chapter 4, we see it actually given. Chapter 4, verse 29, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all other men, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. Verse 34, and people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Now, I don't think it's necessary to expand beyond this why Solomon has the credentials to write the book of Proverbs, why he has the necessary credentials to present to us God's wisdom because he was supernaturally endowed by God with this wisdom and understanding. He was the wisest man to walk the face of the planet apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, the wisest man who ever lived. But now listen, if you know the rest of Solomon's story, if you know how the story ends, Solomon died a fool. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, but Solomon died a fool. Why? Because the wealth and the power and the many women ruined and led to his demise. In the end, Solomon did not live wisely with all that he had been given. But the fact that he died a fool does not disqualify him from the fact that he can compile the Lord's wisdom because he was supernaturally endowed with wisdom. In fact, notice how theologian and Bible commentator Bruce Waltke put it in his uh, excellent commentary. He said this, let it be noted that Solomon constructed his own gallows on which he hanged himself. That is, he ceased listening to his own instruction. Spiritual success today does not guarantee spiritual success tomorrow. And I, in fact, I think it might be helpful at this point, right up front, to share a few definitions. I've got a few definitions that I want to present to you that will expand on these definitions and expand on this understanding. But these are simple words I want us to understand as we go through the book of Proverbs. First of all, the word ignorance. What does ignorance mean? It means simply no knowledge. Does it mean somebody's stupid or that they're dumb? They just don't have the information. Ignorance is not having the necessary information. It may not necessarily be someone's fault that they don't have the right information, unless, of course, 
they like to stay aloof. They don't want any information. Don't tell them anything. You know, I'm not responsible for the information I don't have. Then that is their fault. But ignorance means no knowledge. But what is wisdom? Wisdom is applied knowledge. It's not just knowing something. It's actually applying the information that you have. And this is the definition we'll look at this morning, and we'll expand on it this morning and also in the weeks to come. Wisdom is having insight and then applying that knowledge in given situations in your life. And that leads to the third definition, what is foolishness? I've already called Solomon a fool at the end of his life. Foolishness is unapplied knowledge. He had the wisdom. He had the insight. He had the knowledge. He just chose not to apply it, disregarded it, ignore it, or neglect it. And that's why I can say quite confidently that Solomon did, in fact, end his life in foolishness. He had the greatest collection and greatest capacity of God's understanding, and he did not apply it in his own life. And even though he finished a fool, again, God used him to collect for us and to write for us this treasure trove of supernatural wisdom. And I pray that we would walk in the ways of wisdom as we study it together. Now, let's think a little bit about the structure of the book of Proverbs, uh, the structure of the book of Proverbs, and let's consider how Proverbs is divided. In chapters 1 through 9, those chapters are longer discourses which really introduce the subject of wisdom and also the need to pursue it. In other words, uh, chapters 1 through 9 really serve as the foundation, or some have called it the prologue to the book of Proverbs. If you'll notice on the sermon card, six of the nine sermons we'll be preaching over the summer come from these chapters. So it really just introduces us to the subject of wisdom and the need to pursue it. Chapters 10 through 29 are seemingly a random collection of individual Proverbs, some of which or most of which Solomon wrote himself, others he collected and gathered. You, you can find some of these Proverbs that he gives in other ancient literature that he had obviously uh, grouped together here. If you've read through those chapters, chapters 10 through 29, some of you may be approaching this in your Bible reading or you've been there in your Bible reading, you, you'll notice that when you read one particular proverb, you can go to the very next one and it seemingly has no connection to the one you just read, and no contextual connection to the, to the one right after it. They're just randomly <laughs> collected individual snippets of information. And then when you get to the last two chapters, chapter 30 and chapter 31, these are two chapters written, the first one, chapter 30, written by Agur, and the chapter 31 written by King Lemuel, which famously has the Proverbs 31 woman in that chapter. Ladies, you'll notice on the sermon card, we're not preaching that passage this, this summer, all right? Now, what is a proverb? What is a proverb? It's been said a proverb is a short sentence founded on long experience. But I would put it like this. A proverb is a pithy, that means short, two-liner, where the second line builds upon the first line. Now, we know what one-liners are, right? They're called dad jokes. <laughs> so we know what one-liners are. Well, the book of Proverbs is a collection of basically two-liners. In fact, notice how verse 6 of our focal text puts it. It says, to understand a proverb and a saying, line 2, the words of the wise and their Riddles. Some of these proverbs are something like riddles, where it takes a bit of contemplation. You, you, gotta, you can read through proverbs, but some of them I would suggest don't read through it very quickly. Read one and chew on it a bit. Think about it. Contemplate what it's saying. 
Now, I discovered in my study this week that the actual word for proverb actually means, in Hebrew, a comparison. A comparison. So these pithy two-line statements, these proverbs, they'll start with a phrase, and then the second line will usually build on or expand or compare or contrast the first line. So, so these are comparisons. Here's some of my favorite ones. Some of these proverbs are actually quite humorous. Proverbs 11:22, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. What a great proverb. I didn't write these, okay, so don't uh, write me e- emails, okay? Here's the next proverb. I, these are just great. Proverbs 27:14, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. My wife should memorize this one because sometimes I wake her with my loud voice. So here's another one, Proverbs 70, 28. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. How about this one, Proverbs 20, 14. Bad, bad, says the buyer, but when he goes away, then he boasts. What is this one saying? Well, this is what I do with Facebook Marketplace. I go and look at somebody's stuff. Oh, this thing ain't very good. You want this much for this? I go home, look how much I paid for this awesome thing. That's exactly what the Proverbs say. Isn't that awesome? Bad, bad. Oh, this is no good. Look, here's the last one. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. You've got to contemplate this one. What's he saying? If you want success in business, be prepared to deal with a lot of poo. That's exactly what it's saying. There's a clean manger when there's no oxen, but if you've got oxen working your fields, if you're growing your business, be prepared for a lot of poo to clean up. Is that right, Nick? Oh, he's not in here. Is it right, Troy, as a pastor? Yes, a lot of poo you've got to deal with. Fantastic. Now, as we've considered the authorship, this is all introduction, by the way. We considered the authorship and something of the structure and the form of the book of Proverbs That's how wisdom is delivered to us in the book of Proverbs and how we'll look at it in the weeks to come. Here's the second thing I want us to consider. Wisdom displayed for us. Wisdom displayed for us. I want us to delve a little more deeply into how in the book of Proverbs and particularly in this uh, opening chapter, wisdom is displayed for us. Uh, There are really two questions I want us to answer. The first question is why, and the second question is to whom? Why is wisdom being displayed? And to whom is it being displayed? The first question is, is that point one, the application of it. The application of it. Again, look at verse two and three. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. And these two verses expand on our definition of wisdom. Remember the definition for wisdom was applied knowledge. And so here's the application. You know wisdom, you understand words of insight, you receive instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity. And we'll learn more about the application of truth to our given situations and specific situations, you can see on the sermon card, in the weeks to come. But I want to offer some more guiding principles for us as we embark on this study in the book of Proverbs. In fact, really two of them. These aren't on your outline, but you might want to jot these down. First of all, one application of wisdom happens in God's created order. We live in God's world. This is my Father's world. This is God's world. He created it. He designed it. And so the application of wisdom is how we are to function within his world, within the 
design of his world. He established everything. So this, this world or created order doesn't just refer to nature. It refers to relationships. Did God create relationships? Yes. It refers to how he, he is to be seen and how we are to function within government, within the church, within occupations. And so we'll see that expressed throughout our time together. And acting outside, listen, acting outside of God's created design and order is foolishness. It's folly. And ultimately, it's an exercise in futility. Let me give you an example. The month of June, by our world, by our society, by our culture, has been designated as a special month. It's called Pride Month, LGBTQ Awareness Month. And so during this month, we'll see corporations and companies, car companies, coffee shops change their icons, their emblems to celebrate and to show solidarity with the LGBTQ community. But as Christians, we oppose such solidarity. We oppose such celebration. Why? (laughs) Because that is outside God's created design. It's outside God's created order. We don't do it because we're old-fashioned, because we're a bunch of fuddy-duddies, that we just don't want people to express themselves the way they want to express themselves. No, we believe wisdom is functioning within God's design, within God's created order. And here's why. Listen, when we function in God's created design, it is ultimately for our benefit. It's ultimately for human flourishing. You may hear some commentators and pundits say, why do you care what people do in the privacy of their own bedroom? I really don't care, except it impacts human flourishing. It impacts our society as a whole. When our society does not function within God's design, the whole culture goes down. This is why, friends, as Christians, we must oppose demented Doctors giving puberty blockers to 12-year-old boys. 12-year-old boys who are just a couple years away from believing in Santa Claus don't have the capacity to say, oh, I believe now I'm a female. Why do we oppose it? We do it with kindness, with compassion, with caring, because it is not God's design. It's not God's order. And ultimately, it doesn't promote flourishing in God's world. I believe in a decade or less, we will see the devastating effects of what's happening right now today in our world. Notice Proverbs 3.19. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. This world in which we live is God's world. He established the parameters by which we are to function and to live. So live wisely, live rightly within God's orderly creation. But also the right application of wisdom not only is within God's created order, but look at this next thing on the the screen. In our thinking and in our living. 
we apply it in our thinking and in our living. Wisdom does have to do with our brains. We do have to use our minds. We do have to think rightly about situations and experiences. Look again at our focal passage, verse 2 and 3. To know wisdom and instruction, that's using the mind. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. So wisdom does involve our minds, our thinking, our intellect. But wisdom is not limited to what we think. Wisdom also is seen in the way we live, how we function, how we act. Are we living within God's design? Now, last Sunday, I briefly quoted from Jesus in the end of the Sermon on the Mount whenever he gave the parable of the wise man and the foolish man. I think it'd be good to, to read the whole parable here. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, it's the way you live, who does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And did you notice the titles Jesus gave to the people who apply his words and who do not apply his words? Again, neither of them lack of knowledge. Neither of them lack of information. The one who applied the words of Jesus and lived the words of Jesus, wise man. The one who did not, foolish man. You know, as a parent, we're all the time trying to invest wisdom into our children, right? We're trying to teach them and trying to train them to apply knowledge to live wisely, to act rightly in this world. Now, I don't know about you as a parent. Actually, I do know about you. You're just like me. There are times when the wisdom or the knowledge or the instruction I've given my children, they catch me not following that instruction. Anybody besides me, you've been caught in doing that before? Well, I'm the only one. Oh, you're such good parents. <laughs> yes, I'll give you an example. Uh, my children were mainly elementary-aged kids. I would take them to school every morning. Before we pull out of the driveway of our home in our subdivision across town, I would say, okay, kids, buckle up. So finally one day, one of my children said, Dad, you tell us to put our seatbelts on, but you're not wearing your seatbelt. Uh-oh, right? And so I, here's what I did. Money's a great motivator for me personally. I said, okay, here's the thing, kids. Every time you catch me outside of our subdivision without my seatbelt on, I'll give you a quarter. Pretty good, good deal for them, right? Well, after I started racking up all kinds of money and debt to my kids because they kept catching me without a seatbelt on, I finally said, hey, I got to straighten this out. I'm getting poor here. So again, the, the deal was when we get out of the subdivision if they catch me. So I started playing this kind of game with them as we got right to the stop sign of our subdivision. I could feel their eyes upon me, just waiting to nab me. Just before I pulled out, I would slide the seatbelt over and just hear this disappointed sigh. Oh, they didn't catch me. So... Now, here's what's funny. 20 years later, my daughter Aubrey plays the same game with Carson. You catch me without my seatbelt, I'll give you a quarter. So the other day, we're taking Carson on vacation with us this week, and I said, hey, Carson, where we're going has a game arcade. You got to bring a bunch of quarters. He's bringing $10 in quarters from his mom that he's collected <laughs> for catching her without her seatbelt on, right? <laughs> So we're all called to grow in understanding, in wisdom, 
All of us are called to do that. Wisdom, by definition, is more than knowledge. It's knowledge applied. It's the right application of the knowledge. Well, here's, here's another question. Who is wisdom being displayed for in this book? Who is this book for? Who's the target audience? Well, we see the audience for it in verses 4 and 5. Here's the audience for the book of Proverbs. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. So this wisdom is for simple-minded people and very sharp-minded people. This wisdom is for young people and for old people. This wisdom is for those who already have collected a lot of wisdom and are living in wisdom so that you can increase and the one who has understanding to obtain even more. In other words, this series is for everybody. The book of Proverbs is for all believers. We're all called to grow in our understanding, regardless of your age, regardless of your mental capacity. We can all use more wisdom. And that really leads to the last main point of my message, and that is how do you get it? How is wisdom discovered by us? How do we grow in wisdom? Now, you'll notice on your outline, I've got a, another blank right after that. And I'm not going to supply the answer. I want you to answer that question. Blank is the beginning of wisdom. But wait, before you put in the answer you think I'm looking for, here's the answer I want you to put in that blank. How would the world say this is how you grow in wisdom? What would be the world's mindset of this is how you begin in wisdom, how you expand in wisdom? How would you fill in the blank? Not by what you know the Bible says in verse 7 of our focal passage, but what was, is the conventional understanding of this is how you grow in wisdom in our world? You, you write something down. What would you write down? Diversity. Diversity. Your truth. Your truth. Your truth. That's good. Education. Anybody else? Inclusion. Right? You grow in wisdom by experience, wins and losses, going to higher education, getting a degree, um, mind-altering drugs. Artists would say, I'm not a good artist unless I'm really high, right? This is the beginning of their supposed um, wisdom. But how does the Bible say we, we grow in wisdom? What is the beginning of wisdom for us? Two things I want you to notice. Number one, through reverence for God. Wisdom's starting place, the beginning point for any of us to increase, to grow in wisdom is reverence for God. Notice verse 7 again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Remember, again, I told you that chapters 1 through 9 are kind of the prologue, the foundation for the entire book of Proverbs. And I find it interesting that Solomon pretty much brackets the prologue with this truth. Look at chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Then we saw in chapter 1, verse 7, the same thing. This, this concept of the fear of the Lord brackets Solomon's introduction to his collection of wisdom. So this is a solid answer for us. It's not education, it's not intelligence, not even experience. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And I would say that the fear of the Lord, reverence for God, is not only how you start in wisdom, 
The fear of the Lord, reverence for God, is the controlling principle to have wisdom for your whole life. For your whole life. In fact, consider wisdom like a house. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, I would say that's the front door. You don't get into the house of wisdom unless you have a healthy fear and reverence for God. But guess what? Once you walk into the house of wisdom, you start to discover the walls, the floor, the ceiling, the furniture, the utensils in the kitchen, everything is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, reverence for our holy God, is the controlling factor of walking in wisdom. And that is why people who have no fear of God are fools. They walk in folly. Now, let me offer a little caveat. It is true that we can gain knowledge and wisdom through education, through experience, but at the end of the day, all truth is God's truth. This is my Father's world, and if we, through science or through education, discover something about God's world, or through the science of relationships, discover how relationships function better, all truth is God's truth. But all truth is meaningless apart from a healthy fear of the Lord. And friend, that's why a thoroughly biblical worldview, the way, the grid through which we interpret the world, the way we read the newspaper, the way we understand society and cultures, a healthy fear of the Lord is, is part of what our worldview ought to be in the world of academia, in the marketplace. We can't separate our knowledge of God and our function in God's world. But that offers a big question. How? <laughs> How do you appropriately and accurately fear God? How do you grow in your reverence for God, right? If this is the starting point, and according to my proposition, it's the controlling factor of walking in wisdom, a healthy fear of God, how do you develop that? How do you have that? At least the final main point on my outline, and that is through relationship with God. Man was created first for relationship with God, and that relationship was meant to be marked by worship, by submission, by respect, by dependence. And so this is what it means to fear the Lord, to have relationship with him. But that relationship was broken through sin. And that relationship, and therefore the fear of God, began to unravel in society and in culture. Instead of submission and respect for God, there was no respect for God. Instead of submitting to him as the ruler of the universe, mankind has said, I'm the Lord of my own universe. I'm the king of my own universe. As Brother Joe said, my truth is my truth. I get to determine what is true for me, not anyone else. It's a breaking of the relationship with God, and we've fallen into idolatry. Rather than worshiping the one true God, what do, who or what do we worship? We worship ourselves. And so this relationship with God was disordered, and therefore all other relationships will be disordered. Man's relationship with other people, man's relationship with the world in which we live. Where there once was order, there is now chaos. Would you agree with me that there is chaos in our world? I just heard this morning there was another shooting last night in Chattanooga. That is not God's design for his world. It's chaos. It's 
foolishness. Where there once was harmony, there's now conflict. So if we want wisdom, it starts with reverence for God. In order to obtain reverence for God, we must be in right relationship with God. So here's the million-dollar question. How do you do that? How do you develop a fear for God through a relationship with God? What does a right relationship with God look like? Well, in the Old Testament, when this was written, it was through observance of the Old Covenant. But on this side of the cross, grave, and resurrection of Jesus, it's in the New Covenant. We have a relationship with God in the New Covenant. The only way to have a right reverence for God and right relationship with God is by coming to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. The book of Proverbs, listen, is a gospel book. You know why I say it's a gospel book? Because it's in the Bible. And the whole of the Bible is pointing us towards the gospel of Jesus, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Lord willing, over the next nine weeks, as we look at these different sections of the book of Proverbs, you will see the controlling, determinative factor of all of them is Jesus. It's Jesus. He is the divine center. He's the interpretive rule for the book of Proverbs. How do I know that? Notice what Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. He said this, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, here it is, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. For you want to grow in wisdom and knowledge, grow in Christ, in him, in Jesus are hidden all the riches and all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So a right reverence for God is the front door to wisdom. It's the controlling substance of wisdom. How do we enter into that? Through relationship. How do we enter into relationship? Only through Jesus. Only through his death and his burial and his resurrection. In fact, Paul tells us the world's view of that story the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Notice what he said in 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is folly. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The gospel is the grid through which we interpret the Bible, the book of Proverbs, interpret life. Christ crucified is the wisdom of God. You may remember the exchange that happened when Jesus was being crucified. There was a, a thief on either, either side of Jesus. And one of the thieves hanging, dying beside Jesus was railing, mocking Jesus. You think you're the Savior? You're hanging here on a cross? Do you remember what the second thief said to him? How he rebuked him? Notice what the Bible says in Luke chapter 23, verse 40. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Here's Jesus hanging on a cross. Did Jesus hanging on a cross look like a God who should be feared? Not to human understanding, not to human thinking, but when we don't see Christ as Lord, through his suffering, we will not have a fear of God. That thief said in Luke chapter 23, do you not 
fear God. Do you see Jesus on the cross as foolishness or as the wisdom of God? Do you see it as folly that the king of the universe would take on human flesh? Walk in poverty throughout his days? Be hung on a cross like a common criminal? Is that foolishness to you? Or is that the wisdom of God? Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 1.25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. So I'll close this introductory message. And this is where I want us to land. The first movement towards true wisdom is a movement toward the crucified Savior. That is the first movement. And I would say, gaze upon the cross. Look upon Jesus. Think of him suffering there, the king of the universe. And you know what will happen when you contemplate and you ponder that wisdom of God in sending his son to die and sacrifice? What will happen is this. Your own personal pride, your own self-assurance, your own dependence upon your own wits and savvy to navigate this world, all those things will begin to melt away as you gaze upon the crucified Savior. You will grow in true wisdom. And that leads to my last thought. For wisdom to grow strong in us, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, what we've sung about, what we've prayed about, what we've preached about this morning, the gospel must develop deep in us. Let's go to him in prayer.